या देवी सर्वभूतेषु मातृपेण संस्थिता नमस्त 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 नमो नमः आई बाउ टू द डिवाइन मदर इन यू एंड इन एवरीवन देयर आर मेनी वेज टू गॉड डिवाइन मदर इज वन ऑफ द स्वीटेस्ट but whatever appeals to you whatever satisfies your desire that you should do whatever it is whether it's krishna or divine mother or shiva or all sorts of different aspects of god always remember that it's a play don't take it too seriously there must be joy there must be a sense of wonder it's all really divine mother wants to have fun with you he she created us in order as the shastras say to enjoy himself herself in all and he can enjoy himself she can enjoy him herself most when you love him and when you play with him not certainly when you're struggling and weeping and complaining and suffering but all that suffering like a doctor he doesn't want you to suffer but he wants to spare you greater suffering and so he may operate and he may cause you pain but he doesn't do it out of a wish to hurt he does it out of a wish to help this is the purpose of the guru this is the divine play and when god gives you suffering and when god gives you pain don't let it don't take it too seriously i remember one time i was had everything that i had done all my life was being threatened people were trying to take it away from me and i was just thinking blissfully divine mother they can take everything but they cannot take away the only thing i treasure which is my love for you and so i was peaceful this is how god wants us to be but you know the guru's discipline remember the word disciple in english comes from uh, its root is in discipline but in in indian chela is like chele a child your own child the guru also thinks of you more as his children he wants to help you and he doesn't try to discipline you just for the sake of disciplining there's a lovely story here too because you see well as it says and i'll just read it sometimes when i hear the master described as a harsh disciplinarian i remember with a smile the following story for he wasn't harsh He was only appropriate which is quite another thing. He was kindly disposed toward everyone. His only aim was to help. He never corrected anyone moreover unless that person himself asked to be guided. Otherwise he might overlook even the most glaring defects. One day he visited the monk's dining room. The luncheon dishes hadn't yet been washed and the table besides was an utter mess. In our defense I might add that the dining room itself was no inducement to housekeeperly pride situated as it was in the basement without windows a single light bulb bulb dangled loose on a wire from the center of the ceiling and provided the only light in an attempt to create a cheerful atmosphere someone had someone had painted the walls an almost painfully bright yellow Had the master been the stern disciplinarian however that superficial people sometimes considered him 
He would certainly have seized on this situation to give us a thorough scolding, scolding for this disorder. Instead, he gazed about him with a kindly expression and remarked, it could be worse. It could be worse. He was so forgiving. No matter what you did, he always looked for the positive side. He always tried to encourage. And you know, in the beginning, he used to urge me to get devotion, develop devotion. One time he gave me a good scolding for something that I was really minimally responsible for. And I kind of, I didn't like it. I didn't resent it. But I, I asked him the next time I saw him, I said, please scold me more, Master, because I wanted to grow spiritually. But he said, I understand. But what you need is more devotion. You don't need scolding. And in fact, that's what he showed. He gave us that sweetness which helped to bring out that devotion. When you saw him and saw the sweet expression in his eyes, how could you not love? He was not just the master. He was our friend. He was our beloved. And it, it, I, I just, uh, I can't, thank him enough for the experience of living in an atmosphere that was, yes, it was stern, it was disciplinarian, and yes, in some ways. But he only did that when you understood that that was for your good, that it was with love. He didn't even like to scold. He used to say, I like to discipline with the eyes. I like to teach with the eyes. A simple little look was enough if you were tuned in because sometimes his slightest gesture, his slightest expression, had a world of meaning in it. If you looked carefully, if you listened, the role of the disciple is to listen. And not only listen to the words, listen to the vibration. Listen to what's going on behind the, uh, whatever it is that he's saying, the lesson or whatever. One time he asked me, I'd only been with him a very short time, and he asked me, I'd, I'd wanted as a, many years before, I'd wanted to be an astronomer, so I was interested in these things. So he said, what is it that keeps the earth from um, going uh, from going into the sun? And I said, well, it's the uh, centrifugal force of the earth that keeps it moving away from the sun. And then he, uh, I thought he was just asking me for information. <laughs> I didn't realize there was a lesson behind this. Then he said, well, what? keeps the earth tied to the sun. Why doesn't it, uh, no, what, what, what ties it to the sun? What makes it revolve around the sun? I said, well, that's the gravity of the sun that keeps it tied there, the power of the sun. You know, he didn't say anything. He just smiled. It was months later that I realized that he was talking an allegory of the soul and God. God's love pulls us to him. Isn't it, it isn't God who rejects us. It's our centrifugal egoic force that keeps saying, oh, I want this, I want that, I want to keep moving away from that center. And the role of the guru and the disciple, the role on the spiritual path, is to help get rid of that centrifugal force within ourselves that keeps trying to pull away. I'll never forget one time he was down in Encinitas, and I was up at, in Los Angeles, and I felt this deep love 
for him and deep longing for him. You know, in this world, when you give people love, it's usually, or very often anyway, not re- not requited. But I had to go down there to Encinitas to see him. And the moment he saw me, he looked at me and said, I have missed you. I thought, how rare that when you have that feeling, the other person responds. He did instantly. He said, I have missed you. Then, because I was this stupid planet, circulating, pulling away, one of the boys, one of the monks there had been reading a science fiction story of H.G. Wells, and we were talking about it, and I was getting very interested, and it was fun, but at the end I found I was just a little bit less in tune. And I saw him at the church the following day in San Diego, and he looked at me, and there was just a hint of reproof. He said, I have missed you. He was reminding me. That is the center toward which we should always move. That is the center which is in our own being. It's not in another person. When you have that relationship with God, the more you develop... You know, in the Bhagavad Gita, in chapter 2, there's a passage where, where it says, and Sri Krishna responded to Arjuna smiling, or as if smiling. Master said it takes a certain spiritual development to reach that point where you see God's smile. In the beginning it's harsh, in the beginning it's difficult, but it's only because it seems that way. It's only because there's this tug of war in yourself and then that constant pull inwardly. And sometimes the ego says, oh, you won't let me have any fun. But bit by bit, if you really decide, as Sri Krishna says to Arjuna, to you, Arjuna, who have overcome the carping spirit, the critical spirit, who no longer look at the guru, for example, and say, why is he doing that? Why is he doing that? Oh, my God, I'll tell you, I went through lifetimes like that. I'm not saying I was anything except just a very low kind of disciple trying his best to climb out of the mud. But my guru told me, you were eaten up with doubts in the past. Thank God I don't have them anymore. Because how wonderful it is when you get rid of that doubt, as Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita, O Arjuna, the doubter is the most miserable of mortals. The answer to doubt, I discovered this, it isn't answering this doubt, that doubt, the other doubt, and you have a thousand, you finally get those answered. There are a thousand and one and two thousand. They'll never end. The answer, as I learned, is love. When you love, all of a sudden your doubts disappear. All of a sudden you understand. And when you can overcome that carping spirit, that sort of weighs everything like a merchant and says, why did he do that? Oh, I don't know. Eh, should a real guru be like this? This is a tendency of people. They always compare a guru with another guru. They always compare today's guru with yesterday's guru. They say he's like this. You know that God is, he doesn't make two thumbprints the same. Well, I showed my index finger. Two thumbprints the same. Every single individual, just like every single snowflake, is different. And so every master is different. Every master is himself, but every master is yourself. And he has that within him, which makes you suddenly realize what 
your potential is, what you can become. And so, if you can stop this ridiculous play, and I've been through it and I've had enough of it, I think perhaps if I am any good as a teacher, as I say, I don't teach, but I do try to share. But I have had any doubt that you can have, I've probably had. And I've seen that the answer in every case is love. When you love, you have no questions. When you love, when you overcome, as Sri Krishna said to Arjuna, the carping spirit, the no-saying principle, when you can say yes, but not foolishly, but with love, then all of a sudden you know he is yours, and he smiles, and he accepts you. Am I accepted? I don't know. All I know is that the only thing that matters is if I can help to get you to understand. Yes, I have one particular mission, to help you to know my guru's mission. But I'm not so blind as to think he's the only guru, everybody has to follow him. You know, I was lecturing many years ago in New Delhi, and there were a few hundred people there, and somebody asked me a question, and I knew that he needed to go to a spiritual satsang. And we had our own center here in New Delhi. And you would think that my natural thing would be to say, well, come to our center. No. I could feel that that wasn't where he belonged. I said, you know, there's an Aurobindo center here in New Delhi. And I, I think it would help you very much to go there. Later he came to me. He said, how do you know I'm a disciple of Aurobindo? I said, I didn't know, but I, I just felt that, that that was where you were attuned to. I don't want to convert you except to your own higher self. But I have one song to sing, and that song is what he could give you. Because he, on behalf of all the great gurus of the ages, can help you to know who you are. And when you come to that point, then you suddenly discover that this whole world is something not to grieve over, ponder over, get heavy-minded over, not to say that, uh, um, why do you cause suffering and so on? We're, caused, we're the cause of our suffering. But I remember the story from the life of Ramakrishna, of this devotee who would come out of his little cell in the morning and look at the waves on the river and look at the clouds and look at the sunrise, listen to the birds sing. And his prayer was to clap his hands and say, well done, Lord. This is the spirit that we need to have in our relation with God. It should be a celebration. Don't pray to God, my papi, who I'm a sinner. Oh, for God's sake, you don't need that. My Guruji used to say, the greatest sin is to call yourself a sinner. You are a child of God. You are free in Him forever, if you will allow yourself to be, if you will allow Him to make you that way, God's blessing. But you can gain that blessing not by weeping and tears, except of love, except of longing, yes. But otherwise, rejoicing. Know that you and He are one. Know that this great show of God's it's so beautiful, and it would be much, much more beautiful if people would just dance in his name and rejoice in his name and serve others in his name. May his joy be with you. In
India there lived by the banks of a stream a hermit whose prayers chose applause for their theme he gazed at the flowers and he smiled at the sun then he clapped with delight lord he cried oh well done well done lord oh very well done the mountains that laugh with the gypsy clouds the fields smile to welcome the sun all nature sings praises aloud the fields smile to welcome the sun all nature sings praises aloud the trees dance to show their elation a day on god's earth has begun and ever true heart in creation in speechless wonder is bound and every true heart in creation in speechless wonder is bound well done lord oh very well done the joy that you've planted in children's hearts the thrill known in bearing a son the hope when a trial departs the thrill known in bearing a son the hope when a trial departs the gladness of men in their neighbors of youth in its victories won our joys are the proof of your labors how wonderful lord are your arts our joys are the proof of your labors how wonderful lord are your arts well done lord oh very well done at last i've discovered the mystic key the world's joy oh secretive one replies to your sweetness in me the world's joy oh secretive one replies to your sweetness in me for here in my heart lies the answer your love shedding light like the sun all life seems to leap like a dancer when gazing i see only seems to live like a dancer when gazing i see only